Is what we are about to uh, talk about the opinions of Mark and Dennis as individuals? Yes. Is it the opinions of our employers? No. No. Is it legal advice? No. Yet yeah, no. No, definitely no. Is it even remotely entertaining? That remains to be seen. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, an appropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. Shut up. The Human Resources Director, Little Miss Hostel Work Environment. <sighs> Hello and welcome to the Hostel Work Environment. This is Dennis. And this is Mark. And we're back. It's another week. It is. We have some interesting stuff. Now, a few weeks ago, we did a live episode. Remember that? Well, by the time this airs, a few weeks ago, we did a live episode, and then okay. last week, we did a live episode. So, the first live episode we did, which was episode 50, remember that one? It was uh, with Vaguely, Irma. yeah. So, what our listeners may not know is that before that live show, Mark came to me, and he had a topic he wanted to talk about. And as you know, we don't share the details of what we're going to talk about before each episode, but this time, Mark came and he said, you know... I want to do this story, but it contains this line. And you showed me one line from the story, and we're like, can I do this? And I think the words I used were F no. Right. That was, and, and it was a fair assessment given that with the live audience, they were there for a different event, and we, right. were, we were there to do a, a, a entertainment for, right, in, yeah. in, in our way, but we didn't want to push a, uh, dramatically more right. um, difficult case in front of, right. and we still we still so talked about death and dismemberment, right? And so, I talked and, for masturbation for half right. an hour. So, so, so given that Dennis had planned masturbation as a uh, as a topic, we and thought, still rejected this case. Um, tells you how bad this tells is, you folks. that this case has some. So, yeah, the, the, stuff. The, this is like an NC seventeen case. Trigger warnings, this contains graphic depictions of sexual violence. If that is not something you're into, just, just go listen to something else. Right. And, this, and come back next week. We'll we'll do an episode that has no depictions of sexual violence. Maybe. Well, yeah, but you'll usually that's do, what happens. If we do, there'll be a, another disclaimer, and you right. can choose to go listen right. to well, we'll always give a my disclaimer. favorite murder, where there will be no depictions of sexual violence. Ever. Ever. Yeah. So with that, if you're still listening, yeah. <laughs> I'm totally super stoked for this one because what Mark sent me was effed up, and I'm dying to know what the story is. Yeah, so this is this is a super effed up case. I mean, it's just, um, and, and you know, we try to find cases that have just outrageous facts, and sometimes we make light of them, and sometimes right. we don't. And this is one where you're going to hear some things that are going to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. That's crazy. In like a, but when you actually think about what's going on here, uh, it's actually a really sad case. So so we'll have to overlay some yakety sacks at some point. Probably. Okay. All right. So this is a case called Caparanis, the Ford Motor Company. Okay. It's out so this of, is an actual case. This is an filed. actual case. This is a out of the Northern District of Ohio. Federal District Court. Okay. Is that um, Cleveland? Northern District of Ohio, I imagine, would include Cleveland, yes. Um, Toledo, Akron. Sandusky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is about 
Robert. I'm going to call him Caparanus because that's how he's referred to in the case. That's his last name. And he also includes defendants Charles Kempen and Clyde Hescox, um, who were workers, managers at Ford, at the auto plant that he worked at. Okay. So Caparanus began working in Ford's Ohio assembly plant in March 2008. Um he worked on a pedestal production line along with 15 to 18 co-workers. Uh, Kemplin was the group leader and Hescox was also a group leader but in a different line from plaintiff's line. Are those like four persons? I would think so. That's okay. what it sounds like. There's a footnote but I'm not going to say here. Our group leaders are supposed to support the team, ensuring quality of the production, enabling the team to work safely, providing the team with appropriate tools and ensuring that employees' concerns are addressed. So sounds okay. like a lead. Um, Caparanis, who's our plaintiff, did not fit with the stereotypical male worker on Ford's Ohio plant assembly line. Unlike other workers, he did not drink. He did not do drugs, nor did he swear around women. Wow. Kind of freak, is he? Well, you're going to find out in the next sentence because apparently, I joke, I kid. apparently uh, he also was passionate about golf. Oh, God. I, th- there are some things I'm willing to abide, but. God, golfers. Well, well, and this is this is actually one of my favorite parts of the case. So it then says a sport that defendant Kemplin repeatedly called a sissy's game. Then the court puts in parentheses, obviously Kemplin is wrong. Golf requires more strength, coordination, and timing than hunting or fishing. <laughs> oh, Caparanis, however, did not engage in activities uh, like hunting, like and, hunting fishing. and fishing. Uh uh, he wore clothes, or sorry, as the as the the court says it, that traditionally considered to be manly, like hunting or fishing. Oh, okay. Caparanus wore clothes that looked like what girls would wear. That's a quote. Okay. Caparanus also had habits and attributes not usually found among the male workers of Ford's plant. He had worked in management and took detailed notes on his work. His coworkers told him that they thought this behavior was weird, saying he did the queerest things. Hmm. Another quote. And why can't he just work and be like normal people? At times, uh, he engaged in behavior that pushed him farther from the male stereotype, like pretending to be pregnant and rocking a fake baby while wearing a work apron. Yeah, that's a little outside, it's a the, little outside ma- the male norm. stereotype. Uh, as a result of an accident, Caparana suffered uh, a neck and upper back injury. And after the fall of 2009, he was restricted from work with small parts, presumably as a result. Hmm. Although there was an adjustment period, Ford communicated with him and made changes to, her, to his work process to accommodate his disability. And after that time, he was able to perform his job duties and did not complain to Ford that his work involved any tasks beyond that restriction. From early 2010 to December 2010, Caparana says that he was the victim of sexual harassment at work. He says he endured sexually charged verbal attacks by defendants, uh, Hescock, Kemplin, and others. For example, in February, he said that Caparana sent two sexual text messages. The first said, "Found, found the candy you like for Valentine's, but can't remember if you like white or dark chocolate. And attached a picture of two chocolate cake pops shaped like penises. Aha. 
The second had a graphic depicting Elmer Fudd sodomizing Bugs Bunny. I missed that um, Looney Tunes. I missed that one, too. I'm glad I missed that one. Uh, in March, Hescox... Perhaps that was a merry melody. No, I don't think there's anything too merry about what's what's coming next year. So, okay. In March 2010, Hescox approached Caparanis with a five-gallon container of Vaseline and said, "Cappy, you need this Vaseline for your ass since you take cock there all the time." I mean, they, they sell Vaseline in five-gallon five gallons. That, incidentally, folks, was the quote that I sent Dennis. That's when I said no. That we should not read this at <laughs> You're our not going to do that. Yeah, at our event. All right. Um, in response to that, Caparanis sought the help of his group leader, Defendant Kemplin, by repeatedly turning on his yellow workstation light. Um, Kemplin came over. Is that like the call signal? Like I think so. On going, an airplane where yeah, you push the call attendant light? I think that's what it is. The footnote is not helpful on it. Um, uh, Kemplin came over and... Uh, turned off the light and provided no help. No. Oh, well, way to go, buddy. The situation between Hescox and Caparanis escalated, culminating in Hescox saying he would beat Caparanis up uh, when they were off their shift and Caparanis telling Hescox to get the fuck away from him. Ford disciplined both of them for their behavior. In 2000, uh, April 2010, Ford employees put grease and dirt on Caparanis's work chair after he sat in the mixture and stained his shorts, Kemplin kept track of votes on the substance's identity with a whiteboard delineating the options of dirt, crease, or cum on a whiteboard in a workplace. Hmm. Wow. Subsequently, Hescox walked past Caparanis, simulating sucking a cock. I'm trying to imagine the judge having to write this into his... And this is like, how the judge writes I it. am reading... Not every word, but this is all reading out of the case. Hescox also passed Caparanis' work area uh, simulating screwing someone. In May 2010, Kemplin refused to give Caparanis a bathroom break. Uh, The following day, Caparanis discovered he'd been moved to the bottom of the go-home list and Kemplin refused him the option of leaving early. I'm not sure exactly what that means um, around, but it must be around some work rules. Yeah, and, that, that and sounds like seniority a, it's kind, kind of, of a manufacturing yeah. and sometimes union thing. It's like, if you want to go home, sign the list. If we're overstaffed, we go down the list and you can go home early. In fall 2010, Ford employees put a male personal ad Victoria's Secret catalogs and others with other women's clothing magazines at Caparatus's work area. They also painted a nearby wooden box with the words Caps Victoria's Secret and knife, Night Shift Slob Station, which that one just seems weird to me. But um, yeah, I, I, I suspect there's meaning to that that you that we are not picking up with. on. Um, in November, Caparatus signed himself out due to mental strain. And soon after, Ford disciplined him for poor and careless workmanship. Later in November, Caparanis asked Kemplin for an emergency bathroom break, which Kemplin denied. Consequently, Caparanis uh, peed in his pants. Oh. Uh, Kemplin then told Ford employees that plaintiff was like a little baby and pissed his pants. 
sometime after this incident, Caparanis was placed on a no work available list. Caparanis says that he advised his supervisor about some of the tensions with coworkers. He also spoke to Phil Brissett, Ford's labor relations supervisor, about how his coworkers treat him. He told Brissett he wanted to know uh, what he was supposed to do the next time he got harassed. He filed a report with labor relations after his coworkers put sexually explicit materials at his workstation. He also filed a complaint with labor relations after he believed coworkers had placed something on his work gloves because his eye began to burn. In October of 2010, he complained again, saying that he was scared. The supervisor told him that it was not his problem. Uh, on December 15th, he tried to file another report with labor relations. During the fall of that year, Ford was considering all options, that's a quote, regarding Caparanis's employment. The issue came to a head on December 16th, uh, which is the day after he tried to file another report with labor mm. relations. On that day, plaintiff's supervisor spoke with him about a missing battery charger. During the exchange, the supervisor apparently noticed Caparanis had a black bag with a bottle full of urine. Caparanis had carried the urine into the plant because he urinated during his commute and did not want the urine to freeze. Caparanis set down the bottle and a barrel full of dirty gloves. Ford subsequently terminated him. For the piss bottle. According to Ford, it fired him for bringing the bottle filled with urine into the workplace, allowing it to spill over onto the gloves and for having a company-owned keyboard in his personal locker. No rules exist against bringing bottles of urine into the Ford plant. Not surprisingly. Not surprisingly because you don't generally have a rule about things like that. I always advise my clients to implement a no No urine policy, but they don't always listen. Nor are there collective bargaining agreement provisions that provide for termination under such circumstances. Another Ford employee who urinated on company property was suspended but not terminated. Ooh, now that's, that's kind of critical. When Caparanis began to experience the harassment to work, he began weekly treatments with a psychologist. He suffered from depression in the past. The psychologist found that the symptoms found that the quote symptoms of anxiety, depression, and insomnia experienced by Mr. Caparanis were triggered and exacerbated by the harassment he experienced forward from March 2010 until his termination. Okay, that's our factual scenario here. That's a messy fact scenario. I thought so. And this isn't, I mean, this is, you know, what, eight, nine years ago, but it's only eight or nine years ago. This is. Yeah, this is not like 1940. Right. Like Ford should do better. Yeah. Even if some small percentage of this is true, Ford should Should have have done done better. better. Um, Caparanis filed a lawsuit in 2013 against Ford, Hescox, and Kemplin. Uh, it raised six claims, sex discrimination and hostile work environment under Title VII, disability discrimination under the ADA, retaliation based on sex and disability discrimination under state and federal law, unlawful discrimination under Ohio Code, and failure to provide a safe work environment and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Um, Ford moved for summary judgment on all counts, they all lost. claims. Um, <laughs> and so that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. Just briefly, there's not a whole lot that's really crazy here in terms of the legal opinion. This was more for just a recitation of facts about something that happened a little while ago 
and I just cease, never cease to be amazed at the fact that these things happen in the way in which they happen in and even you know at, at all, but even in a more yeah. modern setting. Uh, but I thought it would be good good form to still go through some of the discussion. Absolutely, this um, is this raises a whole host of fascinating legal issues. It, it does, and I'm curious. So on gender discrimination, now they did an interesting thing here on gender discrimination because I usually think of of straight up discrimination as being separate from a hostile work environment harassment. They seem to combine the two. Yeah. So they're saying gender discrimination and harassment is a claim. Oh, okay. So what Ford is trying to argue is that he, on summary judgment, he can't show that he's a member of a protected class. Yeah, they lose. And can't show that hostile work environment based existed based on his sex. They lose. And uh, that they had a legitimate reason to terminate and that there's no evidence of pretext. Yeah. You, you might want to check with the U.S. So, Supreme Court on so that So let's one. look at this because that's two separate claims. And the first one uh, really speaks to hostile work environment harassment. The second one really speaks to gender discrimination. Right. So, But what, remember that sex harassment is a form of gender discrimination. Of course. Of because course. you're altering the terms and conditions right. of but work. One's based on, on termination and one is based on harassment. Ah, gotcha. Right. So two different right. outcomes. You uh, fired me because of my sex. Right. And you also harassed you, me and created a hostile work environment because based on my sex. So I would view those as two separate claims. It's grouping them together, but it's treating them separately. So they they start with the hostile work environment claim. And what do you think about that? I already know what you think about it, but what well, do you, you think about it? you know what I it? think about it? Um, check with the U.S. Supreme Court because several years ago there was this case called and I always forget how to pronounce the plaintiff's name, whether it's on call or on calle. On calle, as but well, it I would say it. On v. Sundowner, Sundowner yeah. Offshore Services. What year and was that? And that case was from. If you got it there. I think the Supreme Court decision came out in 1998. Okay, so older than this. Older than this. And I know this case pretty well because my former boss was actually the author of a um, um, what do you, what do you call those friend of the court briefs the um, amicus an amicus brief on behalf of the National Organization on Male Sexual Victimization Inc. Men Against Pornography Sexual Exploitation Education Project and a whole bunch of other organizations who all filed this amicus brief on this case and what that what Ancale was about it arose out of an offshore oil rig mm -hmm. where an all-male crew would go out there for several weeks at a time and then they would come back ashore when their work was done right and because we already had depictions of awful sexual violence. I'm not going to go into too much detail on this one but the facts of Ancale make this case look mild by comparison right, yeah i mean they I basically took this poor plaintiff out and he was their sex slave for a couple i've weeks. looked at on college to yeah, feature on the podcast before and i passed no, every time we're like blah, blah. it's an awful case right anyway that case went up to the u.s supreme court the employer was saying there's no sex discrimination they were here. all men they're all men supreme court you know who wrote the opinion i don't recall okay 
Well, let me tell you what the Supreme Court said. Then guess who wrote the opinion? The Supreme Court said, bullshit. This is because of sex. The sex doesn't have to be an opposite sex. They abused this poor plaintiff because of his sex, that sex being male. Title VII prevents and prohibits male-on-male sex harassment just like it does male-on-female sex harassment. This is no different, and they found in favor of the plaintiff. You know who wrote that incredibly progressive uh, left wing? I'm going to guess it was Scalia. Scalia. May he rest in peace. Yes. The one good decision the man ever wrote. Anyway, it's not true. He actually wrote a couple good ones. But that's been the law of the land since like 1988. Yeah. So what are they thinking making that argument here? <sighs> man, when you make that argument... It's not it's not a good place to start from. Let's just put it that I, way. I would argue you're going to spend money better a better use of your funds is on settling that case than trying to pay lawyers to make that crappy argument. So they agree with you. The court does. Yes. Yeah, cuz you know precedent being well, what it and is. Well, no summary judgment here on the hostile work environment claim. What about the gender discrimination claim? <sighs> I don't know to what extent the facts really support the idea that his termination was because of his sex in that they kept plenty of other guys around. Mm-hmm. This sounds to me more like a retaliation case well, than we're gonna it does get, we're gonna a get straight to, up there's discrimination a retaliation case. But we're not there right now. So I'm not sure that the, the sex discrimination case, if it's based on the termination decision, that that survives summary judgment. So... That did not survive here either. Oh, okay. So, so far I'm two and zero. Oh. Right. So, so the court said there's a material issue of fact here. Oh, sorry, it did survive. My oh, bad. it did. I said okay, that I'm one and one. They did survive. It. Uh, yeah, he wins. Okay, Caparanis. I'm trying to find. Sorry, his, I'm a little distracted because I'm trying. I'm looking his, at this on my computer. Yeah, uh, and trying to find the the part here where they talk about it. Other evidence that may be relevant to, sh- to any showing of pretext includes facts as to defendant's treatment during his prior term of employment. Caparanis's facts indicated he was treated poorly due to his failure to conform to gender norms. Accordingly, there are sufficient facts to support his contention that defendants proffered legitimate non-discriminatory reason for firing him was a pretext for discriminating against him for failure to conform to gender norms. Defendants are not entitled to, to judgment on Caparanis's gender discrimination claims. So they say that there's enough there to show pretext and that the legitimate non-discriminatory reasons were not actually legitimate or non-discriminatory. Right. So, Fair enough. Uh, what about disability? So he had some, wasn't clear whether it was a workplace accident or not. Doesn't matter. Doesn't but matter. it sounds like he had some medical issues, an accident before that required him to have some workplace accommodations. Mm-hmm. Um, given that he was then terminated for what sounded like some crappy reasons. I think that's another case that's going to survive summary judgment. Wrong. Really? Yeah. So, again, now they have more information to go on than what. True. What, and I, I skipped through some of the facts here. But um, basically what they say is evidence about defendant's treatment of Caparanis prior to his termination suggests discrimination based on his gender nonconformance, not on any physical disability, that they accommodated the disability 
it it was taken care of and there was never another issue again for the many months between when that happened and the termination. There was continuing problems with his gender gender non-conformity. Correct. So that continued on, Uh but the disability issues ended, I believe, earlier that year or the year before and never became an issue again. And nobody was harassing him or talking to him about it. All of the facts we talked about had to do with his gender nonconformity. Okay, gotcha. What about retaliation? (laughs) In spades. Right. It's (laughs) the day after he complained. I mean, that just doesn't survive summary judgment. That's an easy one. They also, uh, uh, he also survived summary judgment on um, IIED, on intentional infliction of emotional distress. Which which is is usually the biggest BS claim on earth, unless. Unless you have facts like this. Yeah. (laughs) So that doesn't surprise me either. You're basically trying to torture somebody in hopes that what? They'll quit, they'll go away, or you just enjoy torturing somebody because you like inflicting abuse. And again, just to be clear, since we're two lawyers talking about this and we haven't talked about summary judgment standard, this is the court saying he gets to go to trial on these claims. It's not saying he wins. It's saying that Ford can't get the claims dismissed on summary judgment. If if a jury believes that what he is saying is true – a jury could then conclude that there was a violation of the law. Yes. Sometimes if I, you know, I make a claim that um, Mark sexually harassed me because he rolled his eyes while drinking his, what is that? Like some off-brand vitamin water? Yes. Um, he rolled his eyes at me while drinking his off-brand vitamin water. It's well, Kirkland. a jury could believe that, but that's, that's not sexual harassment. True. So that's why we have summary judgment. Right. It's a process for weeding out meritless cases. This is not one of them. No. This is one of the more egregious set of facts that I've heard recently. So anyway, it's an interesting case. I thought there's some interesting analysis, though. I don't think that there's anything crazy here. I know we like to focus on cases that have crazy facts and then some crazy outcomes that you wouldn't expect but have sound legal reasoning behind them. This isn't that case. This is just a case. Now we this talked, is a case. We talked a little bit about how the Supreme Court says, look, Title VII applies to male-on-male sex harassment, same-sex sex harassment, regardless what the sexes are. But we didn't talk about something else. And that is the theory that Title VII applies to gender nonconformity. Mm-hmm. This case seemed to, seems to be from 10 years ago or eight years ago. All over that aspect. They seem to be all over that aspect. And it's still based on his sexual identity and his gender ultimately. Right. What we weren't hearing is whether or not any of this harassment was based, well, there, there was elements of it. So, but whether or not his claims were saying, I am being harassed because of my sexual orientation. It doesn't say doesn't that. sound like he pleaded it that way, but he doesn't have to. He didn't need to clearly in this case. Right. This goes back to another Supreme Court case. I believe the title of it is Vincent v. Meritor. Mm, I've heard of that. Yeah. I may. I, I don't have time to Google it right now, but, you know, y'all who doubt me can Google it. But the basic idea there. Yeah. A female bank executive was very mannish in her dress and her appearance. She didn't wear lots of makeup. She wore pantsuits, not skirts, and was discriminated against on the basis of not being feminine enough. 
And she filed a claim under Title VII saying this is sex discrimination. The defendant said, no, it's not. We love women, especially ones who look like Barbie. Right. We're all into them. We don't, we don't, you know, we're not into, you know, Pat over here. Remember the Saturday night? Okay. I got the um, reference. Thank you. So, but again, the Supreme Court said like, no, this is discrimination because of sex. It is a form of sex discrimination because you're not conforming to gender stereotypes. So even there, that is Supreme Court precedent on this. What we have not had the Supreme Court come down on is to say whether discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation right. violates Title VII. And there is a clear circuit split yeah. on this issue. I don't have the circuits in front of me right now. And before but. Judge Kennedy retired, I would have said that the Supreme Court will take that and they will rule that it does. I'm not so confident of that. Not anymore. Depends on how drunk Kavanaugh is at the time that he makes the decision. If he's had a lot of beer, he may go a different way. But I mean, it the, appears his inclination is to the, the say question that Title from, VII does not apply. There. Right. The question for me is whether Roberts tries to position himself as more of a centrist and occasionally jump, jump right. on that. Which he and easily we, could. He easily could. He's done it in the past on certain issues yeah, like Obamacare. But I wonder if maybe now he views his role as being more of a centrist on the court because – he wants his court to be viewed as one that is impartial. Right. And, I, and so he's going to have to work hard to make that happen now. Right. And so I, we are way too early for that. We're going to have to get through a couple of uh, Supreme Court terms before I think we start to see evidence of that one way or you another. You think so? I, I Well, I, I think least, he may have to start immediately because the we'll you know the public's paying more attention we'll to the court. Depends than it on how does. high profile the cases that come up. But are, there, the, the right? basic gist of this theory is completely consistent with the Vincent case. Mm -hmm. It's basically saying like, as a gay man or as a gay woman, I don't conform to the gender stereotype that I am attracted to the opposite sex. Right. Therefore, discrimination how against me I, on that basis based on is. It's 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 a, it's a no brainer, right? And in light of that precedent, I have a hard time seeing how they could intellectually, honestly, conclude otherwise. Correct. All Fascinating right. discussion. Good. I hope you know we didn't lose too many listeners. Yeah, hopefully that wasn't too wonky. If we have any left, we should do on call someday. Yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll wait a while on that. Seriously, one. folks, if if you're curious, Google it on call yeah. a v sundowner. Um, it's an interesting one, as was yeah. this. Cool. We will well, thanks. be back. We'll tell some stories. Yes. Bye. Okay, we have a new segment of the podcast. Really? Yeah. That's You're unilaterally making a new segment of the podcast. Unilaterally making a new segment of the podcast. Um. For the first time ever, we have a correction. Whoa. Bum, 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 bum. So earlier in your episode, I said that Meritor Savings Bank v. Vinson. Yeah. Was the case. And you were totally the, so Established wrong. that Title VII applied to sexual stereotyping. And I was completely wrong and full of BS. Vinson was the case in which the United States Supreme Court Nine to nothing decision, by the way, recognize sex harassment as a violation of Title VII. The case I was thinking of that established that 
sexual stereotyping and failure to conform to gender stereotypes and norms was a violation of Title VII was, in fact, Price Waterhouse v. Hopkins. Okay. So you've all been corrected. I no longer sound like a wild, flaming idiot as much. Is that the title of the new segment? Wild, flaming idiot. Dennis corrects his wild, flaming idiocy. I like that title. Very good. On that <laughs> we, note. We might have a uh, an episode title there. You know, like the one way that we can be safe and not say something like completely stupid on this show is to read somebody else's story. It's safe. Reasonably. So I can be trusted to do that. I may interject and say something wildly stupid, but, you know, as long as I'm reading the story. Perform. The blame is on yeah. somebody else. Okay. So this is a story called Murder Call Centers and Pizza. Ooh. What is that like your Halloween voice? Like, no, I don't know. Murder. Murder. Call centers and pizza. Pizza. <laughs> okay. Hi, Mark and Dennis. Hi. Hi. One of my HR professors directed me to your podcast, and I absolutely love it. Although the Archer soundbite at the beginning of the podcast left me deflated because it led me to believe that H. John Benjamin was one of your hosts. Well, but after you listen to like an episode or two, you realize how much better we are than H. John Benjamin. I know. He sucks. We're like at, 10 times the voice actor of H. Of H. John, H. John Benjamin. Benjamin, right? I mean. I mean, yeah. Mark we, does like four different voices on Barb's, Bob's Burgers. I don't know if you all know that. <laughs> but, yeah, you know. Tina, yeah, I'm that one fat kid, right? Um, that one of the two twins, yeah, Yeah. those are all Mark, those are me. I'm not sure how well this story from my last employer will translate into storytelling on the podcast. Well, we'll soon find out, but it is the craziest situation I've ever been witness to in my professional career. I would prefer to keep my name confidential if you decide to share this on your podcast, I'd almost prefer to keep my state confidential too. I apologize for my paranoia. And then maybe you should stop there. Since if you keep reading, it'll say the state. Oh, yeah. For once, not Florida. Not That's all Florida. I'm going to say. Narrows it down to 49. I worked for a staffing agency that staffed mostly temp and temp to hire positions. One of our clients was a call center looking for bilingual representatives. So, Mark, bilingual means they can speak two languages. No. Luckily, I was not the recruiter assigned to this contract, but our office was small and everybody was painfully aware of the events that transpired with this client. The only prerequisites the client needed candidates to have were Spanish-speaking proficiency, some experience in a customer-facing position, and the ability to type at least 30 words per minute. During the drafting of the contract, there was a conversation with our business development manager and the client's HR manager about criminal background screening. Sounds like foreshadowing. Mm. Allegedly, the HR manager for the customer explained that they personally don't run criminal background checks on temps until they're converted to full-time employees. This led my branch manager to believe that the company did not run criminal background checks at all and did not recommend to include any verbiage about background checks in the contract. She also omitted running criminal background checks from our process with this this particular client. Oops. Yeah. Once we had the contract, my coworker began screening candidates. One of these candidates met all the criteria for the job and had a sufficient enough interview. After he interviewed, 
he voluntarily disclosed that he had been convicted of first-degree murder. Oh. Yeah. And upon oh. further inquisition, my colleague discovered that he had only been out of prison for less than two years. But this is this is turning into just like our Minnesota case from our yeah. live episode. My coworker hesitated to submit him to our client on the grounds that she couldn't confidentially say that being in a high-stress environment like a call center would be an ideal setting for a felon trying to reintegrate into society. But my branch manager made the decision that if the client didn't run criminal background checks, then it should be fine because he met the minimum requirements. Okay. I wonder if this guy painted pictures of clowns that he... Anyway, the employee <laughs> managed to fly under the radar and perform well once he was in a role at the company for a few months. Right around the time that he was reaching the minimum amount of hours completed to be converted without a fee, the client called our office in a rage, claiming that a customer complained that the employee had used their credit card information to order a pizza. The client demanded to know if we had run a criminal background <laughs> check oh, no. and were aware of any past behavior that could have indicated that the employee could act in this way. Rather than explain that there was a miscommunication, my branch manager confidently lied and said, yeah, we did. The employee was ultimately fired, but he denied any wrongdoing, saying that the client came up with a story to get him fired because they ran his criminal background check in anticipation of him being converted and didn't want to have to fire him due to his criminal history. At the time I left the staffing agency to start a new job, the client still had an enormous outstanding bill that I'm sure they didn't feel entitled to pay. I imagine my old employer and the client are still hashing it out in collections. Again, love the podcast and can't wait to hear more. Best, Anonymous. Wow. That, so, was, that was fun. Don't hire convicted murderers because they might steal credit card numbers and, and order, order a pizza. pizza. Assuming that wasn't just a pretext to avoid having to hire this guy. Right. So interesting, though, because more and more we're seeing laws and ordinances and rules getting passed that are preventing employers from using criminal background checks to make hiring decisions. And one of the things that I always tell clients is that, like, you know, if you're going to, one, you have to use it at the right time. But if you do use it, make sure that the conviction is really a knockout for the job role and its duties right. and make an individual assessment. That's what the EEOC advises us to do, right? Yes. So would you deny a job opportunity to a murderer because he might have access to credit card information? I'm not sure those two things really. I'm not sure they mesh either. Um but if he's just out of prison and he's first degree murder, I have a hard time thinking that that's really necessarily a good decision for my employee's safety. I'd want to know more about the murder. I'd want to get a little more information Did about it. Did he previously it. work in a call center? Did he go on a murderous right. rampage? Did he murder his employee yeah. at a call center? I right? think that would be relevant. That would certainly be relevant. But, you know, there comes a point with these. And I think some of it depends on the nature of your industry and and who the employee comes in contact with. And, and I'm all for reducing recidivism and employing oh, yeah. felons. And, Awesomeness. Right. But there comes Second a point chance. with some of these where I'd rather take the legal risk 
and say no relative to perhaps the public relations benefit right. and safety for my employees. It goes back to the the good old rule. What lawsuit would you rather have to defend? Right. The failure to hire lawsuit or the wrongful death lawsuit? Right. Eh, your choice. Yeah. Failure to hire. Most of the time. Right. Unless you got that one pesky employee you really want to get rid of. Maybe you hire that convicted murderer and, and hope make some work subtle out. comments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. That was not legal advice or any kind of advice. Nor is anything on this podcast right? any kind of advice. It's just two guys talking out of uh, out of our butts. On that note. On that note. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Um, send your stories to stories at hwepodcast.com. Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about this, but if you've got other comments or questions or discussion items. Or you just hate our guts in one event. Yeah, we'll read that too. Send well, it to yeah, us. Yeah, we read pretty Send much it to anything. us. I, you know, we're always looking for stuff to talk about. And I think, you know, we've been talking a little bit and we're open to some shifts in in occasional shifts in format. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a case. It doesn't have to be a no. news item. You just it want could, to hear us talk about something? Let yeah, us know. Let us know. You want Send movie it. reviews? Let us know. Yeah. Um. I want to you, go see the the Queen biopic. It got a, it got a terrible review. Terrible review except in the Times. It, except the one I read, I don't remember what what uh, what publication it was in. Was it's this is a horrible movie that you're going to love. Oh, at least they gave us that much. And they said that the 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 scene, I think, recreating the uh, performance at at Live Aid oh. was move for move, moment for moment, duplicated with unbelievable accuracy and feel that it made up for the fact that the rest of the movie and the the, the dialogue and the script pretty were terrible. pretty terrible. Well, do you know there's a sex harassment hook to the Queen biopic? I didn't. Yeah. So the original director of the film, and he's actually still credited as director of the film. Oh, I saw that the director got fired, but I didn't see why. Brian Singer, who directed all kinds right. of great movies. They fired him because he was accused of sex harassment. I meant, I didn't see that. It was that. right around the time old buddy Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein. And they didn't want to have Brian Singer associated with the project. So they moved him off, replaced him with a new director, and then screwed that guy and gave Brian Singer the sole directing credit. Oops. So, yeah, sex harassment and movies. We could talk about that all day. We could. Of course, Maybe. by the time you know people listen to this... That that movie's made its way out of the theaters after two weeks, and you know, right? But still, may go and see it because Queen, Queen, Rami Malek, yeah, yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter. You can shout at us there and tell us what movies to review at HWE Podcast. Yep. Check us out on Patreon. Make sure that we stay on the air by throwing us a few bucks and listen to our Patreon only content. Yeah www.patreon.com slash hwe and i've been a little better about posting on facebook so yeah that's true so check us out there, there is going search for well. hostile work environment yeah and you know i'm going to admit you know we have a mailing list an email mailing list that we've yeah, not sent anything out to because it's kind of a pain in the ass and nobody ever responds to it and, it's kind of like who reads email anymore and so I think we're still we're getting people signing up for that if you're signing up for that and you're not hearing from us because we don't send anything out probably better to follow us on social media that's where Way all better. of our stuff comes from not yeah. not from an email mailing list which starting to feel just kind of old anyway at this point yeah but. i mean if you really disagree and you miss the emails yeah let tell us, us know let us know stories at hwepodcast.com which by the way since 
the last episode where we sent out this request, we have received exactly zero dick pics. So again, stories <laughs> at hwepodcast.com. Also because we just recorded that episode an hour ago. That, that so might no, be part no, of the nobody's reason. Nobody's actually heard that yet. I, I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that could be part of the reason. But, it's you know, slightly Mark, Mark, all of Mark, the reason. Mark is disappointed that he has not received more. So please send your high-resolution pictures of your own anatomy to stories at hwepodcast.com. And on that note, thanks for listening. We'll be back at you in a week or so. Bye. Bye. Hobby? Hobby, my man? I have no fire. I have no matches. I see nothing matches. I have no matches. I start smoking it.